This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. He is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, a New York City-based consulting firm specializing in leadership development, public speaking, and executive coaching. He is also a three-time award-winning adjunct professor of leadership at NYU and a lecturer on leadership at Columbia University. He is a TEDx speaker and the author of a brand new book, Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life. Todd Churches, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks thanks for having me. This is great to finally be uh, on with you. I've listened to most of your podcasts, so it's great to actually be talking to you live in person. Well, that's really impressive. You've listened to nearly 678 episodes? I don't know if that's that many, but many of the most re- I'll say many. let's say many of the most recent ones since I discovered you. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I thank you for sending me a copy of your book. I will tell you, a lot of my guests send me copies of their books. You are the first one to ever send me a book that was glossy pages. Yeah. I, I thought that was really impressive. And you could tell us why you did that in just a minute. But I'm also a book smeller. I'm one of these nerds. I love smelling books. Mm-hmm. And because this is a glossy book it smells different so i did smell it and i actually do smell it every time i open up to read so i'm not done with that i'm on page 33 an extremely well-written book thank you so much. and it definitely does smell different than the kindle and the uh, audiobook so i'm <laughs> glad you got the, the hardcover so now why did you decide to go with glossy because most books are on that like eggshell white paper yeah, it was something I worked out with the publisher. My book is all about visual thinking and visual communication. So the visual element part of it is um, essential. So we went with uh, full color. And because of the color, so as to avoid the bleed through the page, the publisher said we need to use an extra thick paper. So the book, when you the price per pound is definitely uh, um, you know, favorable. So it is heavier than most books, but uh, I'm really happy. You know, a lot of times people put out books. I'm like, oh, I don't love how it turned out. This is not only what I envisioned, but I'm even happier than how I envisioned it. Well, when I got the book in the mail, I'm like, wow. I was wowed. I haven't even looked at the book yeah. yet. I'm like, this is a really good quality book. And you you do something that very few authors do. I really love. And we talked about this via text messaging. But because the audience can't see our text messages, um, I love short chapters. I yeah. don't like books that chapters are like 60, 70 pages because you're like turning and turning. Like, is this thing ever going to end? But your book, because you're a visual guy, it's very it's laid out where there's graphs and there's there's images and there's other things and you have short chapters. So you finish the chapters, three, three pages. You're like, well, I found myself going, well, I'll just read the next one. It's three chapters, three pages. And then I'll read the next one, two chapters. Now all of a sudden you're like 19 chapters later, like, wow. And it, it makes it go really quickly. But if you have a 60 page chapter, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get through this. Yeah. 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 I mean, Attention spans are shorter than ever, right? We're on social media. We're we're we're, we're bombarded with information. So, um, you know, you need to give things people information in chunks and bite sized pieces. And and I basically wrote the kind of book that I like to read. So that's uh, and in fact, one of the thing, nicest pieces of feedback I get from people who know me is that they say you read you you write exactly as you speak, right? So it's almost as if you're talking to me because I teach at NYU, I teach at Columbia, I did I do keynote speeches, and I didn't make the book an academic theoretical type of book. It's literally storytelling with visual images, mm. and it's meant to almost be a conversation. Like you said, it's like we're having coffee. It's literally like my conversation with you, the reader, and I want people – in fact, I say in the how to read this book sec- sec- uh, sec- section, um, you know, I don't want you to race through it. I want you to savor it, right, chapter by chapter. And hopefully you'll get hooked and you'll keep reading, but you can open up randomly or you can read it sequentially. But the whole point is to engage with the book 
write in it, write notes and, and circle it and, and, and really engage with it as, as if it's a conversation with me. Oh, I've been marking up my book. And that's one of the things I love about a print book is that you can mark, yeah, you can mark up on the Kindle, but writing in a print book, there's nothing like it. Now I want to start out with chapter 24 and you're going to know where I'm going with this. It's called the black sock decision-making. Okay. Now the reason why, cause I texted you on this and I want to read to the, the listener uh, what exactly what you wrote word for word. So you're talking about making a life, a potentially life altering decision. Cause you were a man where, you know where I'm going with this yeah. man who likes wearing suits and you have to, the story is you have to match your socks and the tie and stuff like that. Yeah. But then you say, quote, I would switch to wearing nothing but solid black socks from then on. And I texted you. I'm like, uh, Todd, did you really, are you just wearing socks around wherever you're living right now? And, uh, so that's how I read it. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Well, that's one way to take it. But also I hate, I hate, I have to admit this. Uh, now that we're all working from home, I am not we- wearing socks dur- at all during this interview. So I am fully oh, dressed okay. except for my, I am not wearing socks at the moment. Well, thank you for that visual. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I'm all, I'm nothing if not about the visual. <laughs> So let's talk about the black sock decision-making thing. Cause I really like this because you quote Steve jobs and a couple other people in the book, you know, what you wear is can add so much complexity to your, to our lives and it takes thought and which takes energy, which means we're not working on things we, we should be working on. So lay out for us. What is your black sock decision-making? Yeah, the the idea behind black sock and you and you're Mr. Productivity and you're all about simplifying complexity. So I figured you would relate to this chapter. You know, life is filled with so much complexity. We're living in a VUCA world, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, right? In fact, it's the hyper VUCA world right now because of the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world. Things are moving faster than ever. If we can simplify complexity, if we could just eliminate just a few decisions that they have that we have to make, it will enable us to put those brain cells to better use on, on things that really matter. So the story is I used to travel a lot on business before the pandemic, and I would spend hours just matching socks to ties to pocket squares. To, and I was like, how much time am I wasting doing this? So I basically went to Macy's and I bought like 18 pairs of black socks. And then that became what. So if I was packing, I literally just grabbed as many pairs as I needed. And it was one less decision I had to make. So same thing. It's like you could decide what toothpaste should I use? What, you know, what should I have for breakfast? But if you can make certain things like kind of set in stone where you don't have to think about it. Marshall Goldsmith, who's one of the probably the executive coach in the world, he only wears a green golf shirt and tan khakis. That is his quote uniform. Steve Jobs has his black turtleneck and his blue jeans, right? It's just one less decision you have to make so you can use your time to be more efficient and more effective on the things that really matter. Now, when you switched to wearing only black socks, did you get arrested by the fashion police? No, no one arrested me. I got no complaints from my clients. Uh, so I was, I was able to slip that under the radar. So um, again, one less thing to think about so I can think about the more important things. Well, I think another case to be made is the people that have like shoes. I know a lot of uh, younger generation, they have, they have s- shoes that match their outfits. So if they're going to wear red, they have red, red sneakers, blue and whatnot. And I'm like, that sounds so exhausting to me. I just wear sneakers when I go out. Yeah. 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 Again, we're not right. Or wrong. It's not right or wrong. And we're not criticizing. So if that's something that's important to you, like if you're in the fashion business, that may be important. So it's really a big part of my work is using visual metaphors. So the sock is a visual metaphor for any decision that you have to make that maybe you could simplify and just kind of like not have to think about. And you, so you could go on autopilot for those things. So again, so you could really invest your time and energy into the things that are the more essential. Um, 
and as Da Vinci said, and I quote in my book, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, right? If we can find that. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that really impressed me is about three years ago, I, I was a speaker and I was going out in the suits and I hated wearing suits. And I came across this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. He's yeah. kind of famous. Yeah, and he crush, would it, crush it. <laughs> he would wear, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. And I'm like, how does he get away with that? And then it, it real and then it occurred to me, are they buying his clothes or what's between his ears? And so I made the command decision. I said, I'm not wearing a suit anymore. Mm-hmm. And like you talked about the black socks, no one said anything. They're like, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, a lot, you don't come ripped shirts and, you know, dirty jeans, but I would come, you know, I'd wear khakis and a polo shirt like Marshall Goldsmith did. And, you know, and no one cared. They, yeah. they were, they were wanting to know my information. Exactly. They weren't buying my wardrobe. And once I got over that obstacle and it was a pretty big obstacle because yeah. I was, I'm 55. I was raised, Hey, you always dress in a suit, you dress the nines. But right. then, you know, again, unless I'm in fashion, are people really buying what's between my ears, my value I can share with them or my outfit. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And Mark Zuckerberg, so he, he put the hoodie on the map, right? Cause showing up. And, <laughs> so again, it's uh, yeah, it really is about, you know, making, it's about decision-making and the finding efficiencies and effectiveness in your work and your life. So I want to go over to chapter six. Uh, I love this. The ABC decision-making tool. Mm-hmm. We have such a big problem in the world with people making decisions. We've all heard the paralysis by analysis. We just mm-hmm. take so long to make decisions. We turn out not to make decisions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So walk us through your ABC decision-making tool. Yeah. So let's let use, it's always best to use a real life example. So let's say you're deciding between three job candidates or three vendors to go with or three iPhones to choose with, right? So three is a magic number in the world. And in presentation, the rule of three is pervasive. So I love that. And ABC, I was thinking about the Jackson 5, ABC, easy as one, uh-huh. two, three, right? <laughs> so if you need to come up with alternatives, um, Barry Schwartz has a great TED talk called The Paradox of Choice. And if you give people, t- and I mentioned that in the socks chapter, if you give people too many choices, they get paralyzed by indecision and don't choose anything. And I realized that, well, I would go into, I do management leadership training and executive coaching. And sometimes I would go into a client and say, we could do this, or we could do this, or we could do this. And they would get so confused and overwhelmed that they wouldn't do anything. Right. So I learned to give them three choices, like small, medium, and large, or A, B, and C. So ABC decision making is coming up with three options. First of all, my chart, my tool I have in the book is identify the problem or issue you're trying to face. Just literally write it down so you can clarify. Because a lot of times we don't even know a problem we're trying to solve. Right. So, mm. first of all, clarify that. Give it a heading and a title and a little description. And then, what's your desired outcome? What What is the does a successful outcome look for for you? So that's your visual thinking hat is envisioning what a good outcome looks like. And then say, you know what, what are a few possible options? I can go with option A, B, or C. Let's say three job candidates or whatever. For each one, again, name it and describe it. And then list the pros and cons. Like if I go with A, it'll take longer, it'll, it'll cost less, but it's more complicated or I may get more pushback or whatever. So you lay out the three options, A, B, and C. You list the pros and cons. You compare them side by side, and then you make a decision. And then when you present it to your boss or to your client or whomever, you could say, here's the situation, explore these options, weigh the pros and cons, and here's my recommendation. They could push back and say, I don't like A, I prefer to go with B, but at least you've laid it out for them. You've, you've, you've done your homework, and that shows that you put the thought in. So if you're trying to sell an idea to your boss, he or she wants to know that you've done your work, that you've done your homework and thought it through. In a lot of cases, they may just say, you know what? You've thought it through. Thumbs up. Let's go for it. Or they may say, let's discuss it. But just that process of 
breaking it out into bite-sized pieces again will help you to simplify the complexity. Um, and one of the things about all these tools and models and matrices there's that, you know, thinking outside the box has become a cliche, but in order to think outside the box, you need to first think inside the box. So we need to take the messiness and complexity of life. If we could put it into some kind of framework or tool so we could see it more clearly, we'll make better decisions in the long run. Well, that's, that's really, really important. I want to make sure the listener doesn't miss that. In order to think outside the box, you have to start thinking inside the box because you got to know the rules before you can break the rules. And I don't think I've ever heard it put put that way. So uh, that's real. That's gold right there, folks. If you don't get that, that's gold. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And I remember reading the paradox of choice number of years ago. And I remember in the book, he talks about, they did this test where they had people choose from three candles. There's your number three again. And I think it was 12 candles and they made more money on the choice of three than the choice of 12. And then they also go in to talk about the dreaded cereal aisle. Fortunately, I don't eat cereal anymore, but I'm old enough to remember when the cereal aisle was like small. Now it likes both sides, the entire length of the aisle. And, And now I don't know how they sell cereal anymore. I really don't. There's just so many choices and you just become, you know, uh, like a deer in headlights when you see all those choices. Yeah, yeah. With, with the rule of three, you'll find almost like a bell curve. People will gravitate towards, gravitate towards the middle. And that's with, like you said, candles, but also with wines. Like if you go into someone's house for, for a dinner party before the pandemic uh, and hopefully afterwards soon, um, you know, the small one, the cheapest one, like, oh, we don't want to be seen as cheap. And the expensive one that's out of our budget, let's go with the middle. So it's almost like 80% of people will go with the middle choice. So you can, as a vendor or as an influencer, kind of frame something in that way where you give people choices and they will tend to gravitate towards the center. So if you think strategically, you can almost nudge people in the direction of the decision you you would like them to make. Hey there, it's Mark, and I will coach you for less than $2 a day, plus give you access to a group coaching call every single month. For more information, visit MrProductivity.com. I read a book called Biology by Martin Lindstrom, and he yeah. talks about the same thing you just talked about, uh, The Economist, the magazine The Economist. So they would have the print-only version, the printed digital and and digital only, and they wanted everyone to do the, the center one, which mm-hmm. is print and digital. And so the pricing structure was laid out, but then they made the center choice. They put like a, a, a darker background on it and made it larger, and they put like lines around it because they want you to choose on that on that one, Mm -hmm. but there's only three choices. You can do print only digital only or print and digital. There was no other options. And I think, uh, as you know, you alluded to earlier that I'm a fan of simplicity and whether you're dealing with someone at work or with your clients, if you're an entrepreneur, you got to keep things simple. You got to really break things down because people's minds are doing so many different things all day long. They don't like making choices and the choice is too complex. And tell me if I'm wrong here, they won't make a decision all nine times out of 10. Is that right? Yeah, even if you're trying to decide what to have for dinner, if my wife says, well, we could have like any of these 20 things, I'm like a deer in the headlights, especially as an introvert and I need to process things. But if she says, do you want Italian, Chinese, or Mexican? I can make a choice from those three things. But if you add Greek and, and you know, 20 other choices, I'm going to be like, let me get back to you later, right? So um, it's definitely a way of framing something to kind of like, again, steer people or nudge them in the direction. That's all part of an influencing strategy, but it's also will help you to make better choices as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I ask my wife where she wants to go, for example, I'll say, do you want McDonald's? When is it Burger King? You know, so I I did the same thing the economist did. I emphasized what I wanted thinking I was giving her a choice. But my wife, when I ask her what she wants, she goes, well, I want food. I'm like, okay, well, you're not helping. I'm trying to be a good husband. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to give her choices, but I know that she knows I'm a picky eater and whatever I choose, she's going to like. And because I, I don't do Chinese Thai food. I don't, I just don't do that. I'm, I'm a wimp. So I stick with boring food and she knows that. So it just yeah. makes it easier on our house. Um, That's a good point to know your customer or know your spouse or know your, whoever you're dealing with, what get into their head and whether they like, some people like a lot of choices and other people like to you to make the decision. So um, we just got a new puppy for uh, a three month old puppy. We've had her for four weeks. If you throw her like 30 toys, she's going to just stand there. So confused. So you, th- you, you pick one or maybe two and see which one she'll bring back and which one she likes. But again, whether it's a puppy or a person, it's still about simplifying complexity so you can get the outcome uh, that's more positive and more favorable. Like I always say, complexity is the gateway to procrastination. Yes, so yeah. always keep things simple. Yeah, so we get paralyzed s- by indecision when we have too much. Abs- absolutely. And I don't care how old you are, what sex you are, you will get paralyzed when you have too much choices. Yeah. That's why I think Apple does the right thing. You Like there's iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Pro, and iPhone 12 Pro Max. That's mm-hmm. it. There's yeah. three choices. That's not by design. Yeah, I know they have the mini and the SE, but I'm talking about the new launch they yeah. just had. They give you three choices. So I want to go over to chapter 20 because I really enjoyed this chapter. I was probably reading it someplace over the Gulf of Mexico and flying back from Florida last week. Stop, start, continue, and the magic wand. Lay out for us what that means and uh, how we can implement it in our lives. Sure. I use stop, start, continue all the time with my coaching practice to get feedback, to give feedback. So just visually, and again, we're doing this auditorially um, on an auditory podcast, right? So picture in your mind a stoplight, right? A traffic light with a red, yellow, and green. So stop, start, continue. That is a color coding system that we all know, right? So red is stop, yellow is continue, green is go. Similarly, if you give someone feedback, or you're coaching someone, you could say, you know, stop. What are some of the activities or things that you're doing that are counterproductive or unproductive that you think we should stop doing? What are some yellow light things that are working well that you want to make sure you continue doing? And what are some things that maybe have been on your to-do list that, or you haven't even thought about yet, green light that you think you should start doing? So just by framing it in that way, and I use this, I just finished my NYU class last night, but at the midterm, I gave my students a stop, start, continue feedback questionnaire. And I said, what's working? What are some things yellow light you want us to keep doing, stop doing and start doing? And it's a great way to frame things visually because we all know this color coding system within our culture. Um, and that's what stop, start, continue is all about. So I use that with my coaching clients. I use that as a feedback mechanism to both get feedback and give feedback. And the magic wand is the question I pose. And I say, you know, if you had a magic wand, if you could wave the magic wand and immediately just change one thing, whether it's about yourself or about my course or about anything, what would it be? And then they have to deliver the bad news that unfortunately there is no magic wand. But in light of that, what could we do instead of the magic wand? What are some things that we could do to change? So um, that's the way I frame the uh, stop, start, continue and magic wand. And again, they're visual metaphors that help people to quickly wrap their head around the concept. Now, when you started talking about stop, 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 start, continue the magic wand, you said something you talk a lot about in your book, because obviously it's called visual leadership. Mm-hmm. You said picture in your mind and yeah. you go into you have a whole chapter about I just read the baseball chapter oh. and we we always tell people in your mind's eye picture this and and I'm reading your book and I'm reading the word that says picture a stoplight in your mind and right away my mind goes oh I know what that is yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the power of using. Sometimes people will say, some people have an ICD, which is I can't draw syndrome. So some people may say, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I can't. But if you could pay, play Pictionary with your kids or your family, you could draw well enough to get an idea across. And I do whole, I just had my first article published in Inc. Magazine about three weeks ago called, Can You Draw What Your Company Does? And it's based on an exercise I do with my clients where I actually have them get up at a whiteboard or flip chart and they have to visually in, um, explain without using words, without speaking what the company is, what their products and services are. So people have to figure it out from the picture and then they're allowed to explain it. And what they find from doing that is you have to use another side of your brain in order to conceptually, re visually represent what we do. And that forces you to, to say, am I communicating my message clearly? And what we found with doing this exercise is a lot of people were not cle communicating clearly or they were using metaphors that were not accurate and that helped them to get back on track. So the power of visuals and using images. So even you could show people it so they could see it with their physical eye, but you could also paint a picture with words so they could see it in their mind's eye. And Shakespeare coined the term to see something in your mind's eye in Hamlet when he saw the ghost of his father and didn't know if it was an apparition or just a figment of his imagination. So to see something in your mind's eye is almost as if you're watching a mental movie. And that's what we want to do when we're communicating is we want to, my catchphrase is how do you get people to see what you're saying? And you want to get that idea out of your head and into theirs. And then people are not mind readers. So we need to actually take proactive efforts to do this both visually and auditorially. You know, it's funny when I was reading the baseball chapter where you used all the analogies from baseball because obviously you're a baseball fan. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, I started laughing when I was reading the chapter. And I'm like, how many times am I saying, do you see what I'm saying? Can you see what I, you know? And I'm like, yeah. man, I say that all, we do it all the time, but I don't think we're conscious of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's just one of the expressions. And you, like baseball, we use baseball analogies all the time without even realizing you know, I, I have a whole list of them. That, that idea came out of left field or I struck out on that presentation. Or Hopefully this podcast interview is a home run. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it's a grand slam. I hope it's a World Series winning grand slam. <laughs> I love it. Well, is there anything else in the book that you'd like to share with us today? I mean, I could go through the whole book chapter by chapter as you did, but uh, um, I... You know, what, the chapter that I get the most feedback on, and you may not have gotten into it yet, is uh, chapter 42, how my cardiologist almost gave me a heart attack. True okay. story. I went to the cardiologist to get my routine tests, as those of us over 50 have to do. And, my car, and I didn't have my regular cardiologist there that day. So it was a younger guy. He came in and he said, based on all your results, um, statistically, um, the results say that you have a 5% a five chance of having a heart attack within the next 10 years. And I almost had a heart attack right there on the spot as I got weak in the knees. And they said, wait, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean there's a 95% chance that they won't have a heart attack for the next 10 years? He said, yeah, that's another way of looking at it. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. So did, did what he say, was that incorrect? No, but it wasn't right. Was that the message he wanted to get across? I don't think so, right? So, so often when we're communicating numbers, we are losing the message. So one of the things I say to people, and this kind of stops them in their tracks, especially like numbers and financial people, is that your numbers are meaningless. What matters is, that the, is the story that your numbers are trying to tell, right? So out of context, numbers are just digits. So if I say to you, I have a 250 average, is that good or bad? If it's my baseball or softball batting average, it's not great. If it's my bowling average, sign me up for the pro bowlers tour, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> so 250 doesn't mean anything unless your audience knows what you're talking about. And Steve Jobs, you know, with, when he launched the iPod years ago, um, instead of saying this holds five gigs of data, and those of us non-techies would say, all right, I have no idea what that means. Right. He said, what? It holds a thousand songs in your pocket. And you're like, wow, right? Five gigs doesn't make me go, wow. 
being able to carry around my whole CD collection on that little thing is amazing, right? So when you're communicating numbers um, and data, what think about what's the story you want to tell, what's the message you want to deliver, and who's your audience, and what's going to resonate with them. So that chapter tends to really you know, stand out with people. One of the benefits of being a subscriber to my email newsletter is you get access to free weekly training from me. To sign up for my email newsletter, just go to mrproductivity.com. And I, I love that because when you're talking about numbers and they really don't mean anything, you know, as a podcaster, I get downloads from my podcast. I mean, people, if you're listening to this right now, you you download it. Thank you for doing that. But when people ask me, hey, how many downloads do you get? I said, it doesn't matter because you know how many podcasts I have on my iPhone I never listened to? It yep. doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter how many people listen. What I care about, which I is really difficult to get any kind of uh, feedback on, is change lives. If someone listens to this episode and they reach out to you or me and say, hey, because of your episode, I made these changes. To me, that's where it all boils down. But that's not a number you can like download on statistics or analysis. You you got to get hear back from people. So I don't when people say, How many views did you get on your YouTube video? Or how many views did you get on your LinkedIn video? It doesn't matter because especially LinkedIn, one view equals three seconds. Well, if your video is three minutes long, did they watch three minutes or because three seconds and more counts the view. And so I think to your point, numbers are meaningless unless they're put in context. Now, if you tell me your video is three minutes long and the average person, like 95% of people watch all the video. Now that means something because now I have context, right? Exactly. Yeah. Einstein once said, not everything that, that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. So I love that because you're talking about both quantity and quality, right? It's what... What gets measured is is important. Uh, Peter Drucker once said, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? So yeah. Yeah, can you put in metrics? But also they need to be the right metrics, right? That's what you're saying, right? So you can measure the wrong thing and make all kinds of assumptions. But like you could go to a networking event and say, I handed out 500 business cards. It's like, so what? It's more important to have one person contact you than 500 yes. people take your business card and add it to their collection, right? So what are you measuring? That's what really matters. And you could talk, you could go the same with wages. Okay. So a million dollars in Houston doesn't go as far as a million dollars in San Francisco or New York City. So if you say you're a millionaire, I want to know, okay, where do you live? Yeah. Because it's you, not just your income, it's whether your costs, whether your expenses, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. And people don't stop and think about that. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. And like I said, folks, pick up the book. And I'm not just saying that I get nothing out of you by the book. Obviously, Todd does great book, but I want to do something very interesting. I started doing on my podcast with you, uh, Todd, and I, I think you're game for this. So I have this thing I do at the end of my show. It's called Mike Swap. So what I do is we change positions. You become the interviewer. I'm the interviewee. And I want you to ask me one or two questions you'd like to ask me because I don't get interviewed a lot. And I got this idea from one of my friends who's going to be on the podcast the next couple months or so. And I said, I'm stealing that idea. I think it's really cool. So what are one or two questions you'd like to ask me as the temporary host of the Mark Suchesky podcast? I love it. First of all, I'm put on the spot. So as an introvert, that's not my specialty, but I will, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play the game with you. I just want to say one thing. I love that you spell your name phonetically on LinkedIn. You say Strew Chess Key, and you have a little pawn chess piece, and you have a little key. That is brilliant because you're using visual metaphors to say what oh, yeah, you know, you're people right. people met my last name is churches but people managed mangle it all the time Cherche or they so the fact that you took you know what's a complicated name and used those visual imagery that jumped out at me like this guy's a visual thinker so and you're all about efficiency and effectiveness so i love that i just wanted to mention that to you thank you so i am all about 
visual images, metaphors, storytellings, models. What are your favorite models? Which are the ones that you use in your everyday work as Mr. Productivity to help other people be more efficient and more effective? Like, give me one or two. Well, I, like I said, I'm 55 years young. And I remember when I was so glad I could do everything on my phone, everything on my computer. I don't have to write anything down. And now I've actually gone back to using a bullet journal. I actually like writing things out if I'm planning a new video. I like sketching it out on paper because there's something magical and you younger people have to go Google this, a pen and paper. But when uh, you sketch out the points you want to talk about and to get across the video, the podcast, it helps me think. Even when I plan, okay, I I always plan on paper before I put it on my iPhone. There's something magical about writing it down because the, 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 it's kinesthetic. I believe it is where the, 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 the pen goes wired to my brain and you're actually thinking about what you're doing when you're doing it on your phone. You can actually just like move things over and your brain's not really thinking it's on autopilot. And so for me, really big is pen and paper. I love that. One of the things that my phrase is, is think with ink, right? So take out the. Take out a pen and sketch it out. Yeah, we spend so much time on screens and digital devices. It's so valuable to go analog and before you go digital and just get away from your screen and just mind map something. Do a, do a, a storyboard. And I love that because then you get an idea out of your head and onto paper. You could see more clearly what you're saying and then you could communicate it to someone else. And you were referring to different learning, not learning styles, but learning approaches, visual or VARC, visual, auditory, reading and writing and kinesthetic. So when you write something down or you draw, it's activating all four of those components. If you write it, write it down, you're using the reading and writing. Kinesthetic activates that motion part of your brain. It's visual because you can see it. And then auditory helps you to explain it. So I love that you're doing that. That's great. What about a metaphor? What metaphors do you use to help communicate abstract concepts to people to help them be more productive? Wow. That's a, uh, that's a really good question. Metaphors. Well, one of my, you're a baseball guy. Yes. I'm a football guy. Okay. okay I it's, like football too. I like football. So I, I told, uh, I did a keynote once and I said, you know, I was watching my, my air quotes here, my uh, Houston, Texas play the Detroit lions. Uh-huh. And I remember in the first couple of quarters, they kept trying to run the ball and they were getting no yards, one yard, two yards. And I'm like, I kept screaming at the TV and my wife thought that was humorous. She goes, I don't think they can hear you, honey. Yell louder. Um, and, and then what happened was, is that, you know, by the third quarter, those one and two yards turned into three and four. And by the fourth quarter, they were like 15, 20 yards. And the point is they had a plan. They had a plan. They knew that the Detroit defense would wear down and they kept pounding the ball, pounding the ball, pounding the ball. And so I used the analogy. I said, you just can't say I'm unproductive today. And man, I got it all figured out tomorrow. No, you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. Use any analogy you want, but it's not going to work the first time, the third time, the fifth time. You're going to get better every time you do it, but you can't give up. And if you look at any sports team, they don't try one play and go, wow, that didn't work. They keep trying it over and over again. So that's what I use. Yeah, that's great. You remind my, my colleague, Jeff Schwartzman, actually has a saying that he uses. He says, yard by yard, life is hard. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. So if you could break down those yardages into, yeah, that's why we try to get a a first down, right? You don't try to get a go 100 yards in every play. You try to move the chains forward and eventually get to your goal line, right? So I love that football metaphor. But I want to know, you're from Rochester. Were you a Buffalo Bills fan before becoming a Texans fan? No. Matter of fact, 
I hated the Buffalo Bills because I lived in Rochester and all we ever heard was Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills. I lived up there when they want they went to four and lost four yes. consecutive goals. And I didn't want to hear about Jim Kelly anymore. Now I don't mind him come down in Houston. I don't get to see too much of him. But I did not like the Buffalo Bills because I'm like I lived in Rochester. What about the Rochester Amherst hockey team? What about the Rochester Red Wings baseball team? Mm-hmm. What about you know all the Rochester teams? We always heard about Buffalo. I'm like, there's more to the city than Buffalo Bills. So, huh. all right, just yeah. wanted to ask that. I was just curious about that. <laughs> well, I thank you for participating in Mike Swap. You did a very good job. Thank you for doing that. Um, you. And you had great answers. I love it. It's I, you know sometimes with improv, sometimes you get the best thing out of people when you put them on the spot, and uh, you don't get a chance to think it through or overthink things. Absolutely. So where can we get your book? Anywhere books are sold? Anywhere books are sold, Amazon or anywhere else. And uh, on my website just launched about a month ago, toddchurches.com. So if you go to toddchurches.com slash subscribe, you can actually download my PDF list of my top 52 books, book recommendations that will help you be a better visual thinker. And that's also in your book, which I'm excited to know because I'm always, I'm an avid reader and I'm always looking for new books to read because when I found out, oh, about four or five years ago that there's a big divide in this, in this world, there are people who are very successful and the people who are not, people are struggling. The people who are very successful read a lot like Warren Buffett and Tony Robbins. I'm like, huh? Now, not, there's no guarantee if you read a lot, you're going to become successful, but the chances go up dramatically because you're exposing yourself to new ideas. That's why I'm enjoying your book, Visual Leadership. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, think about what you get out of a $25 book in terms of ideas. Even if you got one good idea, think about the worth and the value, the ROI of that $25, right? And one of the things I mentioned in my book is I got obsessed. I've had my one claim to fame as having worked for some of the worst bosses who've ever set foot on this planet. Oh yeah. The one who threw, Oh my gosh. Um, you got to tell the story you <laughs> opened the book with about the, you work for in Hollywood or something like that, that, that mean lady. Yeah. My dream was to work in television. I finally got a TV network. I don't want to mention which one, but it has a C, a B and an S in its name. <laughs> and I was sitting at my desk. I was her assistant and I, I typing a memo and I, her office door flings open. I feel something whipped by my head and it turned out she threw a box of paper made pens at me. She wanted the fine point. These were the medium point. And instead of just, I use this example in my NYU class when I'm teaching feedback. I'm like, can anyone think of any other way of giving your assistant the feedback that they may have ordered the wrong pens? It's like, nope, you have to throw it at their head. I can't. And there's no other way they're going to learn the lesson. So, but that's what happened to me. And that was the culture of Hollywood um, at the time. So, uh, but I, I dove into management leadership books saying there's got to be a better way than leading through tyranny and abuse. And I started reading one at a time. I was working for a leading training company and I got so hooked. I was reading one, two, three, five a week. And that habit started in 1998 and continued through 2018 when I kind of took a break and started working on my own book. So I read an average of 50 business books a year over 20 years. And if you do the math, which I was an English literature major, not a math major, but that works out to a thousand business books over those 20 years. And since then, I've read about another couple of hundred. So I've read about 1,200 business books. And so people finally said to me, I'm always quoting business books. They're like, when are you going to write your own? So I started keeping a journal like you talked about and sketching things out. And I, when I sat down to write my book, I had about 2,000 pages worth of content. And I finally... I got an agent. He got me my book deal with Postal Press, Simon & Schuster. And I literally had my friend, Brian Mattimore, he's an innovation guru. He said to me, until you have a deadline, it's always going to be like one of these days or when yep. I get around to it. So I signed my book deal. I literally had nine months to deliver my manuscript. So I locked my way myself away in my office for four straight months last summer. And I got my book done. And I'm thrilled with how it came out. So thank you for I'm glad you're enjoying it. And your feedback is so valuable 
valuable to me because um, you know I really respect everything you do and your your approach to uh, everything in terms of productivity, management, leadership, etc. So it means a lot to me that you're that you're enjoying it and finding it valuable. Well, thank you. And uh, I will end on this when when my clients tell me, yeah, I'm going to work on this in 2021. I said, nope, 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 not the whole year. That can't be your deadline. Well, something in the summer. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I want I want a date. And I force them to get a date because when you get that date, then it becomes real. But if you yeah. say, oh, 2020, 2021, that's 365 days. I think Oscar Wilde said that that, can, that which can be done at any time will most likely be done at no time. I forget if he was the one who said it. or he. Uh, but he also said, and this I know he did say, uh, one of his quotes is, never put off till tomorrow what you could put off till the day after tomorrow. So <laughs> again, you always talk about pro, pro, procrastination and perfectionism are a deadly combination is something I always say. So yeah, until you have a date and a deadline, you may never get around to it. So you really need to you know, set your own deadlines and, 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 and with break it down to bite-sized pieces with yes. realistically doable milestones. So like we talked about with football, you feel like you're inching the ball forward because you can't, otherwise you're just throwing the Hail Mary and most of those get intercepted, right? Absolutely. Well, Todd, this has been so much fun. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Mark, it was my pleasure. It was great talking to you. I really enjoy that. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Find out how I can coach you for less than a dollar a day. No joke. And also, you can get my top five productivity tips and so much more. It all happens at mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.